All right, well, welcome to H2O again on this Easter Sunday. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, uh, we are so thankful to have you here with us. And uh, if you're newer, you're checking out church for one of the first times, you chose a great Sunday to come on. This is Easter Sunday, obviously, and it is an extremely important Sunday in the life of our church and really every church around the world as we celebrate what we believe to be the greatest event in the history of the world as Jesus rose from the dead. It's an event that is literally changing history still to this day, and so much of of the world has been uh, shaped by what happened on that very first Easter, and we're going to talk about that throughout the message together today. And as we think about Easter, Easter really is a celebration of the fact that Jesus has victory over death and over sin. Easter is all about this reality of victory in our world and in our lives. And and victory or winning, that's a a term that many of us, we can relate to. It's something that many of us strive for. It's something that that is very important to a lot of us. When we think about uh, victory, some of us think about athletics, right? There's some Michigan fans probably here in the audience. And uh, they they made it to the national championship last night. If you don't know anything, the final four was going on in basketball. And so uh, that was an exciting night for some of us that were here. Others of us, we wrap up uh, so much about this idea of winning into so many different sports, whether it's team sports or individuals. But for others of us, we think, oh, I'm not really that competitive. But even if you don't feel like you're into athletics, you're probably into victory on some level. You know, maybe you're into to victory with video games or with board games, or even if you're not into anything like that, the stories that we tell, the movies that, they, that we watch, they all have this element or this theme of an ultimate winner and an ultimate loser. And so there's something within all of us as humans that is drawn to wanting to win, wanting to be on the victorious side. And we believe that that's like a foreshadowing of the ultimate cosmic reality that we're worshiping a God who has the ultimate victory in the resurrection of Jesus. And so just as many of us, we long to experience victory on the athletics field or or in the movies that that we watch, also many of us, we can't stand to lose either, right? There's some people in here that are like extremely competitive and just sore losers, if you're really honest with yourself. Some of the spouses are nudging each other, you know. That can play out on sports. That can play out in arguments, you know. We don't like to lose sometimes, and so sometimes that comes out. It reminds me of a story when I was in college. Uh, my freshman year, we lived, uh, I lived on this residence hall floor with a lot of different guys, and, and my freshman year, a lot of us got really close, and we all loved to play sports together, and there was this one guy in particular. His name was Don. He was the most into sports, but the least athletic out of all of us, and so it led to a lot of problems for him, you know, as we would be playing all these different sports, he would usually end up being kind of left behind, and so we were playing this wiffle ball game one time, I still have this memory, it lives in folklore for those of us who still keep in contact with each other, we were playing wiffle ball right out in front of University Hall, and these games were getting pretty intense, we were good friends, we liked to compete against each other, and uh, his team was down just one run, he was on second base, he had an opportunity to score the tying run, and so somebody hits the wiffle ball, and it goes right past him, but as Don's running about 
about ready to get to score. He comes around third base. He trips and he falls. And the other guy just walks up to him as he's laying on the ground and just drops the ball on him, you know. And he's and he has to, and he was like, we just saw this different side of this guy that we've never seen before. Starts grabbing the grass and just tearing it up. He's rolling around on the ground, throwing like this temper tantrum. We're like, it's okay, buddy. You know, it's fun, but it's all right. And he's just, we can't calm him down. He's going into this moment of rage and everybody's like, okay, we step back. He starts walking back to our residence hall. He grabs these bushes that are in between University Hall and our residence hall and he tries to like rip up the bush a little bit, but then he falls again. And so now he's like rolling around in this bush and we're all like trying not to laugh because we're afraid he might really lose it. Um, but it's this hilarious scene. And then he keeps walking further. There's a trash can. He tips a trash can over. So we follow him back to the residence hall and there's like this trail of destruction that we were just walking behind. And when we got back there, he's just sitting in the, the lounge, just fuming, you know, and all of us knew just to leave him alone. Maybe you're a little bit like that. Those of us who love to experience victory, we also, defeat is something that is extremely hard for us. Nobody sets out in life to be defeated, do we? And, and so we know that defeat is hard because victory is exhilarating. And again, Easter is about celebrating the ultimate victory. We're not talking about sports. We're not talking about athletics. We're not talking about movies. We're talking about the ultimate victory that Jesus has over the most important force that Jesus defeated of sin and death. And so here's the big idea for us on this Easter Sunday. The big idea is this. Easter is a celebration that Jesus gives us victory in both life and death. Easter is a celebration that Jesus gives us victory in this life and in the next. And we're going to unpack that together today. So before we do, I just want to quickly remind us of the events that we're celebrating here on Easter. I want to give you a quick picture of the narrative that happened on Easter Sunday, that very first Easter Sunday. About seven days before Jesus' resurrection, we experienced what we call Palm Sunday. We celebrated that here last week at H2O, where this amazing experience happened where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and there are thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people bowing down and worshiping Jesus for who he truly was. Now, if you were the disciples at that time, we talked about this last week, but you probably thought that that was the moment of victory that you were longing for because it seemed like everything was coming together for Jesus. It was this highlight of his ministry career. And so Palm Sunday happens. People are bowing down and worshiping Jesus, but how quickly things change. Not that different from us today, right? You may have one great, amazing day, and then things can change pretty quickly, right? Before he knew it, Jesus found himself on a Thursday in this upper room, sitting with his disciples, telling them, guess what, I'm going to be betrayed, tortured, and killed. After just a few days earlier, people were bowing down and worshiping him. And his disciples were like, no, Jesus, you have to stop talking like that. That can't be true. They were like, you know, correcting him, and Jesus is like, no, that's what God has for me. And so that was Thursday. Friday comes, and there's this fake trial put on because one of Jesus's disciples betrays him and they try to put him on trial for claiming that he is the son of God even though he actually is they throw together this false trial this narrative that isn't true at all and so Jesus gets wrongly convicted of being a criminal before we know it he's carrying his cross up this hill of Calvary and Jesus is hanging on the cross with three other criminals and as we talked about on Good Friday, Jesus breathes his last breath and he says, it is finished. Okay, get in the mindset of the people that were following Jesus during that time. I mean, how terrible it must have been 
to just a few days earlier be in this mountaintop moment, and now this guy who you dedicated your life to, built everything around, seems to be a fraud because he's dead. And so they call it Holy Saturday sometimes, yesterday, because we don't know exactly what the disciples were doing, but they were just waiting, like many of us have to do in our life sometimes. They're just sitting there probably waiting, no, no clue what to do, no clue where to go, and then Sunday comes, the Sunday that would literally change history. In Matthew chapter 28, we can read about what happens and some of those first people, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, it says this. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he laid. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples, and suddenly Jesus shows up and met them. Greetings, he said. That had to be a weird interaction, right? Greetings, he said. And they came to him, and they collapsed at his feet. And I think that's what I would do too. Because they expected Jesus to do what every other dead person had done up to that point, stay dead, right? And yet he didn't. He was alive and he was well. And so they fell down and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. I, I'm, I'm the God of the universe. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee. And there they will see me. These are the events of that very first Easter. And the amazing thing and why we have so much confidence here at H2O and around the world and believing that that actually happened is because not only did just people claim that that happened, but as Jesus revealed himself to at first the 12 disciples and then to about 500 people, as we're told in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there was only 500 people during that time, although that was a lot, that saw him dead and then alive. But those 500 people were literally changed. Their life could never be the same. And so as Jesus revealed himself to them, he was alive for about 50 days after his resurrection to his ascension when he ascended into heaven. People saw him, they listened to him, they touched him, they heard him, and they could not get it out of their minds and their hearts that this really was God. That Jesus wasn't just like any other human, that he really was God. And so those 500 men and women, they were emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things that they could have never done on their own. And they started to tell people about it. In fact, anybody that would listen, they started to tell them about what they'd seen and what they'd heard and what they'd experienced. And anywhere they went, the message of Jesus and the cross, but not just the cross, the resurrection followed them. And others started to hear this and they started to see how their lives were changed. And it started to multiply and it started to grow until generation after generation after generation, the story of Jesus' resurrection took root in the hearts of people who believed in him. And still to this day, that message is changing lives in a powerful way. That message is proclaiming victory, 
right here in Bowling Green, right here in Northwest Ohio, and around the world. The victory that Jesus has over sin and death is available for you and for me. That's what Easter is all about. Easter is about stopping and celebrating that Jesus, in fact, is not dead, but he is alive and he is risen. And through that, we can have victory. And so I want to talk about just three implications for that today on this Easter Sunday. I want to talk about what victory in our lives can look like through experiencing the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. The first thing is this. If you have your handouts, you have your notes, they're on our H2O app as well as in your handouts. The first thing is this, is that victory is found in living for Christ. Victory is found in living for Christ. I want to look at a, a verse, 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It says this. It says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. John says this is victory. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so victory is found in living for Christ. And what we mean by that is that the Christian life sometimes may call us to sacrifice, but so many times God wants for us abundant, full, rich life and victory. Oftentimes we think, or some people think, that, that following Christ or being a Christian is just about suffering through, gutting it out, and then someday you'll get a reward when you die and go to heaven. But the Bible tells us that's actually not the case. God wants for us to live an abundant life right here and right now. And it will continue into eternity, and we're going to talk about that. But he has abundant life for us here and now. You know, thinking about that reality reminds me of this experience I had a couple months ago. I've told some of you I'm the um, chaplain on the police department here. And so a couple months ago, I was uh, in uh, the department, and I was just hanging out in the chief's office, just talking to him, talking about life. And uh, as I was in there talking with him, the secretary came in. And um, she was like, hey, chief, one of the new guys is going to get tased in. Do you want to see it? And, uh, and he was like, no, you know, I don't really like to watch that. No big deal. And then he looked at me and he's like, well, do you want to watch it? And I'm like, yeah, you know. I think he was surprised because what happens, and it used to actually be law. Now it's, now it's just probably recommended. Um, what happens is if, if you're a police officer and you're going to, you know, wield a, a weapon like a taser, they want you to know what it feels like to actually be tased. So you used to have to get tased, but now you get to choose to be tased, which you pretty much always choose it. And so the, this new officer on the department was going to get tased, and I'm like, that sounds like fun to watch, you know, and, uh, and so it was kind of this bonding experience, we walk into this different room, and there's a handful of people in there, there's a person with a video camera, because obviously they have to make sure that they're, they're doing this properly and everything, and at first everybody's kind of joking around in the room, you know, and it's kind of lighthearted and everything, and, uh, and then, like the guys who had been tased before, Everybody kind of started to get serious when it was getting closer to when it was going to happen. And all of a sudden, nobody's going to joke anymore. It starts to get a little bit heavy, you know, and it gets pretty quiet. And they're like, you ready? It's like, yeah, I'm ready, you know. And so they, they grab his arms, and, uh, and, and the two people are holding him so he doesn't fall and, like, you know, break his head open or whatever. And, you know, they just shoot him with the taser. And, uh, and, and he was like, I, I've seen it on TV, you know, but, man, being in that room, you're like, Phew. 
that's a different type of pain. You know, that's the type of pain that I'd probably never experience, and I pray I never will have to experience. And so as he was laying down on the ground, you know, he popped back up afterwards, and he was awesome about it. He was super tough about it and everything. But as I was talking to the guys, they're like, it's honestly, it's only three seconds, but it is the most intense pain that you will ever experience in three seconds. You know, and uh, they're like, hey, if you want to do it, you can, you know, you can do it sometime. I'm like, I'll pray about it, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I need to spend some time praying about that one. All you got to do is sign a waiver. Yeah, I'll pray about it. Um, but I was thinking about that story. I was thinking about that analogy. And that's how many of us view our faith. That's how many of us view, like, following Jesus or being a Christian. It's like there's those three seconds of horrible, intense pain that you just have to suffer for you. And many of us, we just kind of view our lives and following Jesus, like, if you just suffer through it, eventually someday there'll be a reward. Just make it through those three seconds, and then you get to be on the department. Just make it through this life. Just do anything you can to scrape by and get through. And once you finally get through, there's eternity waiting for you. And that's when real life starts. No, Paul says, victory starts now. It starts here and it starts now. God wants abundant life for us. God didn't design us to just suffer and, and, and just scrape through life and barely get by. God wants victorious life for us in our relationships, in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we love one another. God wants freedom from, for us so that we don't have to walk in sin and live in darkness like so much of the world does. But when we live in freedom, our lives become rich and abundant and people are drawn to us. Maybe not because we have everything that the world has to offer, but because we have something different and better. And that's abundant life in Christ. Now, of course, I have to say this because I know some people are here thinking, actually, my life feels way much closer to the taser right now <laughs> than it does to that abundant life that you're talking about. But here's the thing. The beautiful power of the resurrection is that God can take any circumstance, any situation, and he can redeem it. In the gospel, there is always hope. Where there's life, there is hope. Where there's life, there is victory. And so even if you're in a moment where you're feeling like, man, this is just too hard, this is just too tough, I don't know if I can keep going at this rate, at this pace, God can give you victory even in that moment as you cling to him and as you walk with Christ. The resurrection assures us that God can take any situation and resurrect it for his good, no matter how bad or hurtful or broken it might be. And so following Christ isn't just about gutting through. Following Christ is about experiencing the victory that God has for us right now. Let's look at the second point. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but the second point is this. Victory is eternal. We talked about the reality that God wants abundant life for us now and victory for us now, but he also has eternal life for us, and that's solidified in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, says this. And if you're ever wanting to just read about Jesus' resurrection, obviously the Gospels talk about the details of it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is this beautiful chapter that explains in depth the resurrection and the implications that it has for us to this day. It says this, verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death 
has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Paul is kind of taunting death. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? So yes, God wants abundant life for us now. But man, there's something beautiful as well waiting for us at the end of this life. And it's a victorious, eternal life with God the Father. You see, we talk about this reality of death. And it's something that's not fun to talk about. Nobody likes to talk about death, right? If you don't believe me, you know, go home for lunch today and be like, hey, let's just spend our Easter lunch talking about death, you know? Nobody's going to be excited about that, right? It's not something that's on the top of our list to talk about. But death comes for all of us, doesn't it? We know that from experience. And death, without the resurrection of Jesus, truly is the end. It truly is something that should be feared and dreaded. But what Paul says here is, listen, death for those of us who have the victory of Jesus' resurrection applied to our account through the gospel, we can almost mock it. We can almost laugh at it because there's victory waiting for us. Not the end, but the beginning of eternal life with God. You see, on our own, sin leads us to death. But through the resurrection, through following Jesus, we can experience eternal life. And man, there's something beautiful about that. There's something amazing to say we don't have to fear it anymore. We may not look forward to it, but we don't have to fear it because the reality is we've been forgiven through the amazing grace of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that he's shown for us. That's the implication of this Easter Sunday. That's what changed the world generation after generation after generation. That Jesus wants abundant life for us now and he has eternal life for us waiting through his resurrection. And let's just look at this last point. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. It's this, that victory is a gift. So Jesus wants victory for us now. He wants victory for us in eternal life. But we have to understand that this victory is a gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 and 57. Catch the wording here. But the sting of death is sin. So death does sting if we haven't been forgiven from our sins. Death does sting. But the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that he what? He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory. He hands it to us. See, victory isn't something that we can earn. Victory isn't something that we can work our way to. Victory is a gift that we have to receive from God who has already done it for us in defeating death and raising from the dead. And man, this is such a hard concept for so many of us to get. You know, it's such a hard thing because it's so countercultural and it's so counterintuitive to so much of our life, right? I mean, we value hard work. I was raised in a family, which I'm so thankful for, that valued hard work. You know, you don't get anything given to you. You work your way for it. You know, if you're a student here, it's like you don't get an A given to you. You work, you work your way for it. If you're a city member here, you don't get a promotion just handed to you. You have to work your way to earn it. And so much of our life is revolved around earning things that when we come to our spiritual lives, it's tempting just to kind of insert that same mindset into it. i got to earn my way to God. 
I got to earn my way to victory. I have to earn my way to experiencing him. Or maybe some of us feel like, okay, well, I know that salvation is a free gift, but the, the idea that I can grow and mature and experience victory in my life right now, that's something that I have to earn on my own. God gives me salvation, but I got to earn that life that he wants for me. No, it's all a gift that's freely given to us. That is what the gospel is. That is what good news is. Good news is recognizing that we, as men and women, are broken. And there is nothing that we can do to earn our way to God. There's no good work that we can do to, to sweep away the bad things that are in our hearts and in our lives. It's simply not within our power. We could try our whole life to, to work our way to God, and we simply cannot do it because we're finite and God is perfect we're small, and God is huge. And so the only way we can experience the victory that he wants for us is to humble ourselves and surrender. See, victory actually comes through surrendering. So countercultural, so counterintuitive, but it's what the Bible tells us over and over again. And so as we're here on this Easter, God wants for you to experience the abundant life that he has for you right now. He wants for you to be in heaven with him for eternity. And all that takes is for us to say, God, I need you. More than I could ever imagine. I'm not going to count on myself, on my own good works to work my way to you, but I'm going to receive your gift. I'm going to say, God, I want to take it. That victory that, that you've made available for me on the cross and through your resurrection. And then and only then can we walk in that beautiful life that God has for us. So this Easter, take heart. Know that you serve a God that loves you, that cares for you, and that wants what's best for you in this life and beyond. And he proved it to us by raising from the dead and defeating death. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to have a time of worship and communion together to celebrate this.